Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. You'll notice we said disclaimer instead of disclosure because one of our listeners astutely pointed out it is a disclaimer, not a disclosure at the front. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley. And with me is always my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris Muth. It is Monday, February 6th, and today we've got a Disney-themed podcast. Uh, I love Disney, so I'm very excited for this. We're going to start by talking about the outlook for their management team, and then we're going to talk about some blowout earnings at Hasbro, who actually makes most of the dolls and toys that are based on the Disney princesses and other characters. Uh, so, Chris, their outlook for the management team. You know, we've talked about Disney a couple of times before. Uh, a lot of times we've talked about how they're rumored to be interested in buying Netflix. They even got rumored to be interested in buying Twitter. But a lot of the rumors center around, A, they need better access to uh, distribution and consumer relationships. But, B, if they bought Netflix, they would actually get a natural place replacement for CEO Bob Iger, who is set to retire in mid-2018. Uh, This morning, the Wall Street Journal broke an article that said Disney doesn't have any natural internal candidates, and this is almost a direct quote, there's widespread belief that it would be difficult for an outsider to get their hands around the world's largest media conglomerate in the next one and a half years before Bob Iger is retiring. So Bob Iger is kind of considering extending his term. Uh, This would actually be his third extension. He was originally supposed to leave in 2015. They pushed it back to 2016, pushed it back to 2018. He'll be about 68 in 2018. So it's a natural retirement age, though, you know, what is age these days? So Chris, turn it over to you. What do you think about the succession issues at Disney? You know, it's interesting how sometimes very successful and strong executives don't like the topic of their own mortality and their own uh, end of their job, that the kind of uh, irreplaceability is something that some of them can be very uncomfortable with, especially given that one of the things that great executives do is plan for the very long term. I mean, yep. even a mediocre CEO could keep Disney's lights on for the next year or two. <laughs> so, so clearly when people say he's a great CEO, and I would, I would uh, say he is a great CEO, what you mean by that is for the long term. But he doesn't actually like to think about that long term. I would say two things. A, it would take a spectacularly inept CEO if they weren't able to keep Disney's lights on for the next year or two. Right. But uh, no, I agree with you. You, know, you. you built up this thing. And one thing I was cynically wondering was, was Iger one of the sources for this article to try to leap to the market and get pressure for the board to announce that he was going to get to stay past 2018. One of the things, um, I, I recently turned 40 and have been on kind of a health kick and, you know, thinking about some of these ages that are kind of uh, historically really important to people like in the mid 60s, mm-hmm. that was kind of retirement age, you know, half a century ago when you were most of the way through your kind of adult career. But really, if you're relatively fit in your mid 60s, you could have a third of your adult lifespan, adult, you know, professional yeah. career ahead of you and the vast majority of your earning years ahead of you. It's a little bit arbitrary. I mean, once you get to 100 to 110, there's a lot of things that really break down neurologically. But that's with current people. medical stuff. You don't know. Today, but yeah, yeah. One, one of the things I always argue to my kids is one of the reasons why you want to live a healthy life until you're 90, not 60, is that gives you 30 marginal years because maybe when you hit 90, maybe it's 130 or Agreed. something like that. So I would say that today, though, there, you should really push back against these arbitrary ages. You know, why mid-60s? You know, uh, you know people uh, have, I'm 100% against arbitrary 
uh, retirement ages, you know, even pilots, you know, maybe the reflexes are slightly slower, but hopefully their wisdom's a lot better. Uh, so I think the idea that a great CEO could stay until old age is fine, but he's really gutted the bench of lieutenants over the last few years. So I want to dive in on that. You know, I, I agree with you. He's done great. He's done some fantastic acquisitions and everything. Uh, but look, I think the fact that this article is saying, hey, there's no internal candidates to take over the world's largest media conglomerate, that is a direct failure on the CEO Absolutely. and the board. You know, one of the things Buffett's always said is, look, I'm not going to publicly announce my CEO's replacement, but there's always been a name in an envelope that if I die, the board will have someone ready and willing to take over tomorrow. Uh, in, in this case, in Disney's case, their main the main uh, candidate to replace Iger is hair assumed hair left last year because he was the ceo he was in charge of turning around espn he kind of failed miserably espn's been a mess so the board lost confidence in him but the fact that there's no one else internal that is a big failure on the board's part and the story was the same 24 months ago the person who left his longevity in the role is what his lieutenant left for. Yeah. So no, irreplaceable to a chief executive is not a compliment. That is an insult. I mean, you look at functional organizations, you should be able to be replaced. Yeah, so I, I think the two things is, A, I think we've talked about uh, the Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix. Mm-hmm. If Disney acquired them, he'd be a natural candidate. But at this point, Netflix might be too expensive to be acquired. Yep. Uh, you know, I think Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, she is a Disney board member. And a lot of people think she might make sense. But she probably needs to come internal if she's going to be in charge of this conglomerate, as the article saying. So when does that move happen? That better happen soon if you want to replace Iger. And then if it doesn't, I think it speaks, hey, if you can't bring someone in to easily control this thing, if it's this huge, unwieldy organization, I think Disney needs to start thinking, is it time to break up and mm-hmm. simplify this business? You know, ESPN doesn't have anything to do with most of the rest of Disney. ABC Networks doesn't have a ton of synergy with the the movie studios. You know, CBS is running just fine without a movie studio attached to it. I think you've got to start thinking, break it up, simplify the business. I agree 100%. If you can't find one person who can do the film studio, the parks, and the TV, especially ESPN, then uh, a breakup would make sense. I mean, two sources, I think, for the right person, if it could be found, is one, I think we're going to see massive telecom consolidation this year. So you could see somebody who would be a good fit, at least for the TV part of the business, or these very top lieutenants of businesses where there's always going to be number one person, so you're not going to be promoted Mm -hmm. ahead of, you know, you just don't skip in line ahead of Zuckerberg or John Malone or uh, or Larry Ellison. You know, if you work for them, you are the number two. And uh, and sometimes these people might decide they want to be number one. Uh, but, you know, a breakup would make sense. You could get ticker ESPN uh, and uh, have the other TV assets uh, at the Parkson studio. And let me just say, the relationship, to segue a little bit, uh, with uh, the, uh, the, the branded uh, toys with Hasbro shows you can do contracts. So to the extent yeah. that there are relationships, you can create those relationships with contracts. You don't need to be this huge conglomerate. You know, I think contracts can be a little bit overrated. So like one of the things that makes an Apple phone great is Apple uh, makes most of the parts and puts everything together. When you start having like all the different parts made by different suppliers, mm-hmm. the the supply chain itself can become unwieldy. And that's why you find like an Apple phone talks to itself better than a Google phone mm-hmm. or a Tesla talks to itself better than a car by Ford 
because Tesla controls everything and can flip everything on a dime. But you've seen the model with Disney, right? Like Disney license, licenses all these shows and IP to Netflix. And Netflix does a fantastic job of doing it. Disney licenses all of their IP to Hasbro to make toys. And they do a fantastic job with all these toys. So in this case, licensing characters and uh, IP, it's very simple. It can be done very easily. So I'm with you. I think a breakup here makes sense at some point if you can't if, if it's just too big of an organization do you want anything else on here or do you want to turn to Hasbro oh I just to strengthen your point one last uh, sentence or two is that in the uh, computer generated world it's actually simpler back when they were drawings there was actually endless work yeah. that would go back and forth between what was an acceptable uh, you know um, drawing of the uh, characters in Little Mermaid you yeah. know? and sometimes they'd look really weird when they got off and so they'd be back and forth dozens of times but you can actually get down to the bit yeah. uh, what Elsa is. You know, there's no ambiguity. So you can actually demand that it's perfect. So I think that is actually better uh, for a world of contracting. Agreed, agreed. So let's turn over to Hasbro. So Hasbro, you know, they're best known for making the Monopoly, G- Monopoly game, G.I. Joe, Transformers. They actually license all of Disney princesses to make those tours. They announced earnings this morning, and they just blew past analyst estimates. Uh, it sent shares up to an all-time high. They were up about 15% when I looked earlier today. They're up 30% over the past year. And normally we don't talk about kind of quarterly earnings, but I thought this was interesting because two weeks ago their key rival Mattel, who makes Barbie and uh, the American Girl doll lines along with a couple other things, they announced just an awful set of earnings over the same time period that Hasbro did great. Mattel saw their stock decline by 20% over the past year. So you've almost got a tale of two companies here, which I thought made for an interesting divergence. Mattel shares down 20% over the last year. Hasbro shares up 30%. Uh, And it's just interesting to see that contrast, especially because right when we started measuring this uh, in February of last year, there were rumors that Hasbro and Mattel were going to look into a merger of equals. So you've seen kind of them move on from the merger of equals. Hasbro has done great. Mattel has done poorly. Uh, what is Hasbro doing right that Mattel's missing? You know, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know, um, and I hate subjective descriptions like this or explanations like this, but the, um, the movie tie-ins have been hugely valuable, and their toys just seem a lot more relevant, too. You know, they had a kind of earlier traction, and not just traction with the holiday season, but early traction, so they haven't had to discount where... Mattel's discounts were huge and late, so that what traction they had came late enough that they were just trying to dump inventory any way they can. Yeah, so, you know, I don't disagree, but, like, a a lot of people were pointing to the strength. Oh, they licensed the Disney Princess line, Mm -hmm. and the Disney Princess line has done fantastic, especially Frozen was two years ago, but, you know, Frozen's done great, a lot of these Disney Princesses. But my pushback is... Hey, Hasbro won a bidding competition against to take these from Mattel. You know, they paid top dollar. And generally in a bidding competition, all of the earnings go to the person you're licensing it from. Yep. Disney in this case, right? Like Under Armour won a bidding war to get Steph Curry. To, not Steph Curry, I don't believe, but to get Cam Newton and a couple other players. And, and everyone said like, hey, there's no way in heck that Under Armour can ever justify that cost. Unless they, they, maybe if it builds their whole brand and there's like kind of synergies, but look, Nike passed. Nike could have won, and Nike probably had more synergies. So Under Armour probably hurt themselves. Hasbro won this bidding war, so it can't just be the bidding war, mm-hmm. right? It has to be kind of something else going on. So it, I, you know, uh, one, one of the interesting things about the uh, Disney princesses is that Elsa and Anna were the two most. Uh, l- 
inaccurately the two least accurately predicted Disney characters of all time. Yeah. Uh, Elsa, in uh, in favor of Elsa at the expense of Anna. They thought internally that the younger sister was going to be this kind of approachable, relatable one, and almost all girls wanted to be associated with the powerful, kind of ass-kicking older sister one. Which is interesting because Anna, well, they're both heroes in the movie, but I think it really just proves the point Blondes have more fun. Elsa's yes. a blonde. Blondes have more yeah, fun. Absolutely. Well, Chris is married to blonde, and I'm dating one, so that that would yeah. be the reason we think blondes have more fun. Let's talk about the Mattel Hasbro mm-hmm. merger for a second, or rumored merger. Yeah, they've danced around each other's for years. I mean, I saw articles dating back to the the mid '90s that said Mattel was looking at just buying Hasbro outright at that point. But you know, they've danced around each other's for years. I think a lot of people wonder a you know, these are the two biggest toy manufacturers. Would there be a regulatory issue with the two merging? And B, would their IP license licensors, licensors, licensees, would people like Disney and DC Comics and everyone, would they have an issue with these guys combining? I'll, I'll let you take the first stab at it. You know, I, th- I think, uh, so for, first of all, I do think it would be a regulatory problem from an antitrust perspective. Secondly, I think it'd be a big, uh, a heavy lift from the board perspective on figuring out merger consideration. You know, this is something that uh, money is uh, fungible and divisible. Two boards should be able to uh, uh, to uh, come up with a consideration when the fortunes have parted ways, but in practice, there's so much um, there, there, there's so much backward looking uh, board behavior that with one doing well and the other doing poorly, I think that that might be very hard to uh, to come together. Also, there's an issue surrounding uh, licensing relationships that's not um, exactly a regulatory problem, but it's just that when you combine the two, where you have big uh, uh, licensee competitors, yep. you tend to lose one or the other. I've yep. seen this a lot of times in deals like this where somebody's charged ahead. Uh, this has been a huge problem with ad agency mergers yep. and other, where they say, oh, we'll come together and uh, we'll this, there'll be so much synergy to have you know, Coke and Pepsi together. And then and, Coke and Pepsi said, well, well we're not going to be any of the yep, same. Yep. And so, so you lose kind of half the business at that point. And that's been an understated risk in deals uh, of this sort. I think that's spot on. You know, the first thing a lot of people were saying when uh, they were talking about these two companies merging is, isn't Disney going to hate it? A, because when Mattel and Hasbro are separate, they've always got someone like, they've got Hasbro beating Mattel out in a bidding war for the Disney princess yep. rights. And B, you know, a lot of uh, competitor IP uh, flow, flows through the two companies and be like, uh, Hasbro makes the Marvel toys, so things like the Avengers and all of those uh, superheroes. And Mattel makes the DC, the Superman, the Batman toys. Having those under one roof, is everybody going to be okay with that? If I was Disney, wouldn't you be questioning, hey, uh, you know, are they really going to give me all of their resources? Or are they going to think about DC? I wouldn't want them under one roof personally. And from the like you were saying with the merger consideration, if you may announce this merger and then Disney says, "Hey, we're going to exercise our option to pull because we don't like this merger," who does that? Whose pocket does that come out of? It's a very strange question. It's very difficult. So I think there would be a lot of sticky issues there. Um, Mattel has a new CEO mm-hmm. uh, from Google. Um, I think that she's somebody who could really help with data. You know, I was saying, oh, I, you know, I have some subjective thoughts about why they've been in trouble. Um, I think some of their brands are dated, uh, but I don't love these subjective explanations. What explanations do I love? Uh, fast 
data that can allow them to shift inventory quickly. You know, I was thinking that, you know, Mattel can try to be, and it's so hard with toys because you have this bigger lag time, but, you know, try to be the Zara of toys, you know, where you can quickly get uh, data from customers and feed that right back into production, inventory, advertising within a season. Yeah. Uh, and to try to move in that direction because their guesses have not been good guesses. It, it'll be interesting because, you know, I think uh, a lot of, uh, it will be interesting to see the data versus a, a industry that has a lot of like uh, emotions and feelings associated with it. Like if the data actually is good at interpreting this, uh, it seems to be a much different business than what the Google executive is coming from. So I'd be a little bit hesitant there. But look, Google executives are smart. They do have a – I think they've got a little bit of a mixed history with taking over – uh, taking over companies, but it'll be very interesting. I, I honestly don't know too much more than that, though, so those are just kind of my quick thoughts, and readers can correct me horrifically if I'm wrong. Uh, you want to have the last word? Any last thoughts? Um, I think I have nothing to add. Okay, nothing to add. So let's wrap it up there. That's all the time we have for today. Just before we hit our disclosures in this case, a quick reminder, uh, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. We review all of them we review all the ratings once per week, and they mean a lot to us. They keep this podcast going. Uh, disclosure, none for me, Chris, though I did really like Frozen. Any disclosures for you? None. Did you like Frozen? I loved it. I, I loved it, too. Okay, well, that's all the time we have for today, and we'll talk to you guys later this week.